Good morning. How are you all doing? All right. Hope you've had a good Christmas so far. I have. Plenty to eat. And uh, it's been great being with friends and family and uh, catching up with people. It's great seeing visitors here this morning, last, and on Sunday, uh, Christmas morning as well. It's really good to see old friends, old faces, or young friends, young faces. It's great to see you. As Paul said, I'm going to be looking through the whole book of Habakkuk. You might need to look, if you've got a Bible, in the front where there's an index to find where Habakkuk is. It's a book of three chapters, and it, don't bother turning to this, but in your update there is a um, sheet which at home, in your own time, you can look through, because there's no doubt I probably won't go through all my notes this morning, but you can look at this in greater depth at some other time, because I think it's very good that we get a grasp of whole books of the Bible, especially books like Habakkuk, which, if that's how you even pronounce his name. And, uh, you know, sometimes you may not have even read Habakkuk, may not have even heard of Habakkuk. What's Habakkuk about? So it's a good opportunity for you to maybe find out a whole book of the Bible and uh, learn about that. If you're uh, not a Christian or you're a visitor here, you're most welcome. As Paul said, I'm going to be speaking for about half an hour, and that's going to be a miracle, Okay. About half an hour, and um, as, as Paul said also, if you've got small children, do feel free, there's a, there's a the room out the back with toys in it, do feel free to just come in and out, because we obviously, it's a different morning this morning. Let's pray as we start. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you surround us with your love. Thank you for surrounding us with your love. Thank you for what you reveal in Scripture about your love for the world demonstrated in Jesus and the cross. Thank you so much that all of us have opportunity to know God because of Jesus. Lord, there is no barring, no barring anybody. Nobody's too bad. Nobody's too bad. Nobody's too good that they don't need him. Thank you, Lord. We're all in the same boat that's sinking, and you save us. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you help me this morning and help us this morning to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of my preach today is Learning... You'll be pleased to know, I actually went into the kitchen a minute ago to try to find a candle that I was going to light on the stage. You might have just noticed, I'm actually a very clumsy person. In the sovereignty of God, I was not able to find a candle. And I think that's probably good news for everyone. Especially that there's some flammable materials along the front of this stage. Is that still working? Yeah, great. Okay, so learning to see in the dark... It's Christmas, we sing about lights coming into the world, and I was praying about what to preach on a number, quite a while ago now, today, and I felt God say, I want you to preach from Habakkuk. I looked at Habakkuk, and I realised it's about suffering, and darkness, and difficulty. And um, I trust that God has led me to this book and has led me to this message and I trust that God will speak to you today. As I speak about suffering, 
I'm going to be touching some very sensitive issues, aren't I? I'm going to be touching some difficult, some painful areas of your life, probably. So please, you know, I, I'm not going to answer all your, all your um, questions this morning. Please come and see me afterwards if anything particularly you want more clarification on. But I felt God wanted me to preach on learning to see in the dark. Learning to see in the dark. In the dark, in suffering, in this dark world where everybody suffers, learning to see. And my first point is this, in the dark. In the dark. I don't know if you've ever been at home and you're uh, doing whatever you're doing and it's always at the most inconvenient moment the lights go off and you're in a power cut. Yeah? You're always like, oh no, I'm in the garage and now I've got to find my way out without hitting my shin on the bicycle pedals. Or I'm in the hallway, I'm somewhere, I'm midway down the stairs, there's a power cut. And suddenly you think, oh no, what am I going to do? You hope for a few seconds that the light's going to come on. You say, it's going to be alright, it's going to be okay, and it doesn't. So you think, okay, I have failed to make preparations. I always meant to get that torch and put it in that drawer with batteries in. And you didn't, did you? Oh no. The torch might be in the drawer, but the batteries are flat, aren't they? Because the kids played with the torch for far too long and the batteries are flat. And you forgot to change them. You think, oh no, what am I going to do? Where's that torch I got last Christmas? I have no idea. So you remember, hang on, I know, there's some, there's some matches in that drawer. And I think there's an old stub of a candle in that drawer. And you've got to bring the two together. So you search round the house, you get your matches, you get your candle, and you go to light it, and as you get to light it, the lights come on. In the dark. Now, you know where I'm going. Life can sometimes, and it often does, suddenly throw us into darkness. You know, suffering and difficulty comes often suddenly, doesn't it? It's not something normally you plan for. Plan. Oh, it's, I'm going to go, that difficulty is happening next week, I'm going to get fired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You often don't know what's going to happen. And suddenly the lights go out. A difficulty, or even just an emotion, a wave comes over you, and you're in the dark. A loss of something. A loss of someone. Regret over things that you did or did not do. Now, as I was preparing this, it just came to me. I, I have regrets. You know? Regrets. And I have this one issue that bugs me. And it bugs me. And I think, Lord, why did that happen? Why did that not happen? And it, and it can bug you for years. Why did that not happen? I thought you were in this. I thought you were going to do this. Why didn't it happen? Or why did it happen? Regrets. Illnesses. Boredom. I'm just bored with life. I'm just fed up with it. I've been doing this for years. 
Same old, same old. I'm fed up with it. Boredom. Addictions. Physical, mental attack from from others even. Loneliness and isolation. You can be thrown into the darkness, can't you? And I think some of those things will touch all of us. Moments where we feel... Bullying. I'm being bullied. But my best friend is no longer my best friend. I wasn't invited to the party she put on the other night. I certainly remember that when I was... was, It affects me now. Your best friend doesn't invite you. It doesn't include you. It doesn't bring you along. At Christmas time, maybe one of your friends had a Christmas party and you weren't invited. Darkness can come over us. It can come over us whether we're Christians or whether we're non-Christians, we can have these moments of darkness. You can be an unbeliever. And the unbeliever is in darkness without God. Let me read you a really cheerful statement by uh, this uh, um, philosopher called Bertrand Russell. He said this, listen to this, I've got a pearl of wisdom. The secret to happiness is to face the fact that the world is horrible. Let's pray. <laughs> Alid, I'm sure you've got a song to back that up. I could read you Richard Dawkins. Oh yes, our great friend, Mr. Richard Dawkins. Nature is neither kind nor unkind. She is neither against suffering nor for it. Nature is not interested one way or the other in suffering. Unless it affects the survival of DNA. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yes. Unless it affects the survival of DNA. If the universe were just electrons and selfish genes, meaningless tragedies like the crashing of this bus, he's referring to a bus crash where everybody died, these are the sorts of things we expect to happen, along with meaningless good fortune. Such a universe is neither evil nor good in intention. I could go on. Should I go on? He's really cheering us up this morning, isn't he? Mr. Richard Dawkins, you know? Meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless, pointless. So why don't we just live selfishly, shall we? If life is pointless, if there is no meaning, if suffering comes, why don't we just live selfishly? Let's hoard all the money we can get, shall we? Let's tread on the weaker ones, shall we? Let's let Darwinism just lead us on. Survival of the fittest. Tread on those weaker than yourselves. Bully, push your way to the top. That's where it goes without God. Unbelievers can suffer without God. But Christians know, at times, seasons of suffering, don't we? Seasons of darkness. We feel the darkness. And the danger, as Jesus said, is this. That you can be overwhelmed by darkness as well, if you're a Christian. He says, beware that difficulty, suffering, dissipation, drunkenness, other things, don't overwhelm you. Beware of it. In this day and age, in this age we live in, in this world that we live in, darkness comes to Christians as well as non-Christians. Christians don't have God. We have God. We have the light of the world. We know Jesus. He's saved us. He's redeemed us. It's wonderful. But then suddenly, I don't know, just my joy's gone. Suddenly, That thing has been taken from me. 
and we don't understand. The Christian can be perplexed. God loves me. And God is all-powerful and sovereign. Sovereign means he rules everything. Sovereign. But if God is good, why am I suffering? Why am I suffering? If he is sovereign and good, why am I suffering? Why am I going through difficulty? And the danger is, it can begin to rot and bitterness and cynicism begin to take over. We begin to blame. We begin to, to, to lash out. And we can lose our joy in God. And that's exactly what the devil wants and the enemy wants from us, doesn't it? The Bible is not shy about suffering. I'm not tr- sure, but I'm pretty sure every book in the Bible has elements of suffering in it. If you read the Bible, the New Testament promises suffering and difficulty in this life. The Bible doesn't whitewash it. The Bible doesn't pretend it doesn't happen. In the Bible, it's very clear. And he even allows people to complain. And Habakkuk is a complaining prophet. All right? He's a guy that for two chapters complains to God why things are like they are. God, why is it like this? It's not good enough. Why are people suffering? Why is there injustice? Why are the weak being trodden down by the strong? The righteous being oppressed by the unrighteous? Why? I'm sure you've asked those questions, right? And Habakkuk asks those exact questions. That's why it's a good book to read. Look at the honesty of him. If you read it, look at the honesty of him, the way he speaks to God, with honesty, with reverence, but with honesty, to God. In chapters 1 and 2, Habakkuk is this complaining prophet, speaking to God, lashing out at God. But by chapter 3, he's become a worshipping, praising person. And that's the journey he goes on, from complaining... And I'm not saying complaining negatively here. I'm, t- I'm talking, he's being honest with God. He's complaining to God. He's speaking to God about how things are in the darkness. And he goes from, in chapter 3, he becomes this man who says, I worship you. I trust you. I will trust you, though all hell break loose. I will trust you. And that's the journey God wants to take us on. Isn't it? He wants to take us to become a people who worship in the darkness, turning the lights on. So, it feels like sometimes we are in the dark. I'm going to read to you Habakkuk 1 to 4. Let's listen to how he speaks. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict. It abounds. Therefore, the law is paralysed. And justice never prevails. The wicked hem in or surround. We heard that thing about earlier about what Fran sang, that God surrounds us. Well, sometimes it says here, the wicked hem in the righteous. So that justice is perverted. That's in the Bible. That's in the Bible. It doesn't sound like, does it? 
You'd have thought if it was a document just made up by man, you wouldn't have that in there, would you? You, would, you wouldn't. It's just so honest and straight and frank and I love it. And that is how we need to talk to God sometimes. God, why? It's, it's okay. You can speak to God like that. Why? Why, Lord? Why is it like this? Why is this happening to me, Lord? Speak to him. He's a dad who wants to listen and wants you to speak to him. So that's Habakkuk's first complaint. He feels like he is in the dark. Second point. Learning to see in the dark. How does Habakkuk move then from complaints and confusion in chapters 1 and 2 to the joy and trust of chapter 3. How does he do that journey? How does he learn to see in the dark? Well, firstly then, he's honest with God. I just said that. He expresses his concern. He expresses his disappointment, his frustration. He expresses that things don't seem to be as they should be. He expresses the reality of things. He expresses the reality of his life. He expresses the reality of other people's lives. He expresses the reality of the nation that he's in, the people of God. Israel are meant to be God's church, as it were, yet they're going through difficulty and suffering and struggling. He's honest with God. That's the first thing. I'll just throw in again about the Alpha Course. The Alpha Course is an opportunity for you to ask questions. And if you don't have any questions... I'm surprised. I imagine you have questions. Everybody has questions, don't they? And I'm not sure we'll be able to answer all of them. I certainly didn't have all my questions answered when I went on an Alpha course. But it's certainly good to be able to talk about. And we will listen, won't we, guys? We will listen to any frustration. If there's a God, why? That's fine. Because it's a true question. Why? If there's a God, why? Habakkuk says it. You can say it. Come on the Alpha Course. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So firstly, he is honest. Secondly, he listens to God. On two occasions, Habakkuk complains to God and then God speaks. Then in chapter 2. And then he complains again, sorry. And then in chapter 2, God answers again. There's this dialogue going on. He, he vents his frustration, he speaks to God, and then God speaks to him, and he listens. And then he speaks again, and then he listens. Then after that period, he says, oh Lord, I praise you. And there's that di- dialogue that goes on between him and God. He listens. And one of the ways we learn to see in the dark is to listen to God. Listen to what he's got to say. Read his Bible. What does he say in his Bible? What does he teach us? Have a diet of the Bible. Listen to God from the Bible. I was um, speaking to a man recently who's going through an awful situation that no Christian would ever expect or want to find themselves in. And he said, God is speaking to me so much from the Bible through this difficulty. And I don't know about you, but I'm sure it's true. I hear God more clearly when I'm going through difficulty than I do probably at any other time. It's in the valleys often, isn't it? 
It's in the valleys often that you really do realise your need for God. And you start to say, oh God, I need you. When you're on the mountaintops and you're looking out and everything's fine, the sun's on you, you can sometimes, you know, begin to get a little bit complacent. In the valleys, you've got two options. You can run and blame or you can run to God and complain and listen. And God will always bring you to a place of peace and joy and trust, satisfaction in the midst of the most difficult situations. So we need to listen to God. And God responds to Habakkuk. Let me just read to you what Habakkuk, what God says. Now you, this, is, this is unusual. You expect God to say to Habakkuk, oh, it's okay, Habakkuk. It's all fine. You know, it's all, it's all good. It's, it, this is what God says to Habakkuk, right? Um, chapter 1, verses 5 to 6. Look at the nations, watch and be utterly amazed. Oh, it's a hair stand on the back of your head moment. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe. Oh God, what are you going to do? Even if you were told you would not believe it. Oh, what are you going to do? I'm raising up the Babylonians. Oh, if you don't know who the Babylonians are, they're a wicked bunch, right? Babylonians, right? They are a nasty piece of work. Horrid, godless, ungodly, idol-worshipping, self-worshipping, godless people. I'm raising up the Babylonians. Oh, thank you, Lord. That really answers my problems. That ruthless, impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places, not their own. And it goes on and goes on and goes on. He is raising up the Babylonians. Now, sometimes what God responds with is not how we would have expected, okay? The gospel is this. You cannot save yourself. I cannot save myself. No matter how good I try to be, all of my good works are not good enough to save me. So God so loved me, he gave his only son to die on the cross for me. All I have to do is place my faith in Jesus as my saviour and Lord, and I'm saved. That is not an answer I would have come up with to the problem of my sin. If I was God, which I'm not, I would have, you know, maybe, I would have got stiff upper lip type approach. Come on, earth. This do, 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 stop complaining. You know? That's how I would probably go about salvation. And that's how most religions go about salvation, isn't it? Do, 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 and stop complaining. The way the gospel, the way the Bible goes about the problem of sin, he gives his only son to die for you. What? He does it all? Yes, he does it all. He solves the problem? Yes, he solves the problem. Well, all I have to do is believe. Yes, all you have to do is... Well, I don't have to run up any mountains. I don't have to do any press-ups. I don't have to pray for hours on it. No, you don't. You get saved by faith alone. Faith. That is not an answer I would have come up with. Nor is the Babylonians an answer I would have come up with to Habakkuk's question. Now, why is he raising up the Babylonians? Let me tell you why. God had wanted and he chose the people for himself to be holy. That word holy is a people for himself, only for himself. I want you holy. It's like marriage. In marriage, 
I am holy, Helen's, and Helen is holy mine. We are holy to one another. We're set apart for each other. We are pure for each other. We're for each other. There's nobody else outside. We're, we're in it together, alone. And that's true of God. God wants people for himself, alone, holy. No other gods. No other trust. You're not trusting others. You're not trusting in your own strength. You're not living for yourself. You're not living for it. You live for God alone once you become a Christian. Now, God had chosen Israel to be his people. And you know what they'd done? They were worshipping idols. And as you heard it earlier, they were perverting justice. They were, they were living in ways that were contrary to God's character. So God was raising up the Babylonians to purify and discipline his people. That's how much God is passionate about his people, that he raises up the Babylonians to bring discipline and purity into his people. You know the, you know the picture of the fire? The fire, the refining fire, when you heat up fire, all the impurities... Heat up fire? No, 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 no. no. When you heat up metal, all the impurities raise to the surface, don't they? And then they get... It's called scum, I think it's called. Or slag, or whatever it's called. Something nasty like that. And you then take off the impurities off the top. And that's true in this situation. God is heating up, heating up, heating up his people... And he'd warned them before, by, through prophets like Jeremiah, he'd warned them, come on, come back to me. I want you for myself. I don't want you being, being like a prostitute, really. But they'd refused to obey. So God had raised up the Babylonians to purify them. So why is God raising up the Babylonians? He's raising up the Babylonians as an expression of his passion for his people and an expression of his passion for his own glory. It's not because he hates his people. It's not because he loathes them. It's not because I want to discipline you because I hate you and I want to destroy you. No, 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 no. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians because I love you and I want your love for me alone. And I want what's best for you. Do you know what they were doing? Some of the practices were this. They were even sacrificing their own children to Molech, which is a god, a wicked god. That's what they were doing. That's how far they'd gone. And this was wrong. And God hated it. So God was disciplining his people because he was passionate for them and for his own glory. So God works all things for our good and their good and for his glory. Do you understand that? He works all things, including darkness, difficulty and suffering, for our greater good and his glory. Now Habakkuk is obviously, what are you doing? Raising up, this is, this is how the Babylonians are, are summarised, okay? Are you ready for this? This is God's instrument. This is what, God is going to use the Babylonians. They are ruthless and impetuous, chapter 1, verse 6. They are feared and dreaded. They are a law unto themselves. They promote their own honour. They fly like vultures sweeping to devour. They're all bent on violence. Guilty men whose strength is their own God. So you can understand why Habakkuk then says, God, I'm, I'm going to come back to you again and I want to talk to you about this. Raising up the Babylonians, this doesn't seem to be in line with your character. This doesn't seem right. Raising up the Babylonians... That wicked people. And what it teaches us is this. 
though all the earth, though many in the earth, may say, Jesus, who's Jesus? Though many may say, no, 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 we don't believe in God, the Richard Dawkins of this world, the idol worshippers of this world, though they may knock Christianity, though they may knock God, though they may deride the gospel, what it says is this, even the wicked are used for his purposes. Yeah? Even those whose strength is their own God. It doesn't matter who you are in the earth, I don't care who you are, you're under the reign of God. Isn't that good news? I don't care who you are, you're under God's sovereign reign. And this is what it says in the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. Jesus is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. You have God on your side, guys, and that is good news. Though darkness may surround us, We've got to trust him. Listen to him. So Habakkuk then listens to God. Let me read you these famous words in the book of Romans. And we know, in fact, let's turn to it if you've got a Bible, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 32. These are amazing words. And these Whatever individual question you might have now, please try and just fit them into what's said here. And we know that in all things, say all things, please. How many things? Okay. And it means that, all things. But what about Babylon? All things. What about darkness? All things. All things. God works for the good. Good. For good. Of those who love him. And who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. Let's remember, that's one of the main purposes of what he's doing in us, as a church, as an individual. As Babylon, or darkness, however you want to term it, comes upon us, for Israel, it was to purify them. For us, as the people of God, it's to make us like Jesus. Yeah? It's to make you like Jesus. Jesus went through suffering, struggling, difficulty. We go through struggling, suffering, and difficulty to the ends that you will be like Jesus. Now, I haven't suffered. I've suffered little. I've suffered some things. Some of you are heroes, and you've suffered, and you've gone through it. And I know when I meet a saint who has gone through difficulties and struggling, they have a depth to their faith, don't they? They have a depth to their joy. 
They have a depth to their worship. They may not be dancing on one foot and hopping around, but I tell you what, the depth and the reality to their faith and joy in God is an inspiration, isn't it? Amen. Thanks, Simon. It's an inspiration to us. We can all say, can't we, with all due respect to me and to us, God works all things together for good for those who love him. I can say that this morning. It falls to me to preach. But when somebody who has struggled and suffered says it, it comes with a whole new weight, doesn't it? And let's just try and remember that what I'm saying here are the words of the Apostle Paul, who struggled, he was whipped, he was shipwrecked. And let's try and hear it with the, word, as the, with the authenticity of someone who struggled and suffered. Let's remember these are the words ultimately of Jesus, someone who struggled, struggled and suffered in life. So they've got authenticity to them. They're not just like, here, here, old pie in the sky. They are wonderful, deep words that mean so much to us and should really get in us. God works for the good. In all things, for those who love him. And he's going to make you more like Jesus. And let's listen to these words. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Glorified? What I mean by that is this. In this world, you are being made more and more glorious. You know, around your house, you might have brass handles I have in up my house. They look rubbish. They're all, they're all tarnished. They're brown. I get my brasso out. Not that I ever do, but if I did, it would do, happen like this. The brasso could come out. I could give it a good scrub, and what happens? It becomes this beautiful, shining, reflective thing. And that's what God is doing in us, glorifying us. He's glorifying you. He's polishing you. He's shining you. He's heating you. You're going through trial and tribulation and difficulty and he's making you glorified and shining and shining and shining. And when you get to heaven, obviously, then you will be totally purified and glorified. And he's starting that work now. So when in 2.14, it says this, and the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, God promises Habakkuk, I'm raising up the Babylonians, but don't get me wrong, it's not to destroy you. Ultimately, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. And how's he doing it? Through a glorified people. The glory of the Lord fills the earth as the church gets its act together, gets shined up, gets polished, and the world stands back and says, man, you are a people that shine in darkness. Amen? A people that shine in darkness. And as more and more people, more and more people become Christians, more and more people are purified and mature, then God's glory fills the earth. So God is working all things for your good, for his glory also. That's good news. And once, one person once said, it's like a tapestry. Have you heard this illustration? If you, turn over, if you look at the back of a tapestry... A tapestry is where you sew things, right, yeah? You make a picture out of thread, okay? Just for some of you, you know, some of us who might not know what that means. Okay, you sew this thing. On the back, it looks like a complete mess, doesn't it? It looks a complete mess. It's knots, it's rubbish, it's bits of, you know, thread here, there, and everywhere. What's that? It's a complete mess. You turn it over, hey, it's a picture of me. You get a picture as you turn the tapestry over. And I want to say this sometimes. 
You may not ever know. You may not ever know the reason for your disappointment. I'm not promising this morning that God is going to reveal to you the answer to every problem you have. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, though, that in eternity, there will be clear answers and clear understanding of why you went through what you went through. Rewards that you never realised you got because of the way you endured and went through difficulties. I will mention it because it's... I watched that... Steve Barnes, you here. I watched Wonderful Life the other night. Oh, yes. Have you seen the new colour version? Oh, I've got it. I should lend it to you. Very good. Wonderful Life, James Stewart. That's his name, isn't it? You've seen this film? Some of you have. Well, basically, he's going to kill himself because he thinks it's another cheerful thing. He's going to kill himself because he thinks his worth, life is worthless and worth, you know, has done nothing with his life. And then an angel comes down from heaven and reveals to him what life would have been like if he hadn't been born. And he's like, no, all these things are terrible because of dear James Stewart, he, if he hadn't been born. And then he says, oh, please give me my old life back. The thing that he was trying to destroy, he now wants back. And he runs to his wife because, oh, I love you, my children. Oh, and he embraces them. And everything comes good. But the point is this. Sometimes we are not sure of what worth the things we are going through. You know, of what worth is this? Like Habakkuk, you're raising up the Babylonians. This is you. What's the point in that? And I want to say for you, though Babylon come upon you, though darkness, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there is point to it. God has a great purpose. There is a tapestry to it, okay? There is meaning to all that God does and he's good. He learns to wait. God reveals to him, these things are, there is an appointed time. This is in verse 3. The Lord replied, write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets, that he who hears may run, for the revelation awaits appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Now, God kept his promise. He just, you know, the Babylonians overtook the Assyrians and then the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem in 580. They destroyed the temple in 586 BC. And then God destroyed Babylon in 539 BC when the Medo-Persian Empire, going one ear out the other, I'm sure, Medo-Persian Empire, but then King Cyrus said that you can now go back to the land and the people were allowed to return back. So God kept his word. But God says to um, Habakkuk, you have to wait for the fulfilment of what I'm doing. And I just want to say to you that you have to wait sometimes. Days, months, years, decades for God to do sometimes what he's promised. And we're not very good at waiting, are we? I'm not. I'm not very good at waiting. I'm distracted, you know. I want things quick. I, I, I want next year, my goal next year is to do this and to do that and to do this. You know, I want things to be, you know, but God in his own purposes and plans, he works at his own speed. Because God is God. And 
Habakkuk is told, you have to wait for what I am doing. And he says this interesting thing, that he who hears may run. Now, that could mean lots of things, but one of the things I want us, want us to take away is that when you, when you read the Bible, which is God's message to us, authoritative, or when you get a personal prophecy where somebody comes up and says, I feel God is saying this, which is in line with Scripture, but maybe more personal, maybe more directive, maybe more specific. It says, he who hears may run. There needs to be an active response to how God speaks. Yeah? An, act, an active response. When God speaks through his word, we need to act. If it says forgive, you need to forgive and actively do it. If you say to God, God, what's, what, this, this issue that's going on in my life, is there anything you want to teach me through it? And if you get a sense, either whilst reading the scripture, or just personally, as I just said about forgiveness, now, I want to teach you to forgive. And the first step is that. And you go, okay. A- active response means you, you respond to what God says. Because the problem is, when darkness comes, and when disappointment comes, there is a, there's a possibility, isn't there, of becoming cynical and not responding to God. We can start to become blaming others for all that's going on in our lives, whereas God wants to teach us something through it. And you would remember those maybe famous words in Hebrews. Endure hardship as discipline from God. God is treating you as sons. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. What are you wanting to teach me? There's a harvest as we listen to God. So my friends, God is working in your life. Sometimes it feels like we're in the dark. Sometimes it feels like all hell has broken loose. But I want to leave you those words. And we know, don't we guys, that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him. Let's be honest with him. Let's come to him. Let's talk to him. Let's listen to him. Let him speak to us. Let's respond to him. Let's not allow the darkness to overwhelm us. Rather, let's allow the love of God into our hearts and we can rise and shine in this dark world. Let's stand together, shall we? We'll finish. Father, we thank you for the precision of your will. We thank you for the complete awareness you have of every circumstance and situation. We commit ourselves to you. We pray you'd help us to be those who trust you in all circumstances. To grow and to be more like Jesus as a church. I pray for this next year as a church that we would grow to be more like Jesus. Lord, that would be successful, wouldn't it? That would be so good. 
Help us to learn to forgive. Help us to learn to be patient. Help us to learn to endure. Help us to learn to pray. Help us to learn to trust the Father. Help us learn to do miracles. Help us learn to pray and do all the things that Jesus did. Teach us what you want to teach us, Lord. Heal sicknesses in this room, I pray, where there are sicknesses. Heal hearts where there is brokenheartedness. Come and teach us what you want to teach us, Father. But we thank you, you are so good. Amen. Okay, we'll finish there. Um, visitors, there's a welcome area on your right. Is that happening this morning? Yeah. And it'd be great to speak to you at the end. Speak to you at the end, and have a great rest of the day.